Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Time does matter, and if you were here last week, that makes a lot more sense now as uh, we're in the middle of a series called Who Are We? And um, we're really dialing in on issues that face today's family. If you were here last week, we talked about how important time is, that, that time over time will make history and make a difference within a family. And so I encourage you, uh, if, you ever, if you're a family in here, if you know of a family uh, that is just in the beginning or in the process, or if you have grandkids, you need to go into last week's message to really take a look at uh, the realities of how much time as a family you have to influence a child in their spiritual growth. And today we're going to talk uh, about a topic that is dear to my heart, because um, I think the church has done a really bad job um, over the years really facing this. And uh, when I mention the word family, um, right off the bat, there's a lot of us in this room that you have a picture that pops into your head. Um, Terry's talking about family. And, and if you're married and you have kids, you, you right off the bat, you assume that I'm talking about your family. And so if you're a family in here that represents last week, I told you only 23.5% of families today are made up of a mom, a dad, and two biological kids. That's only 23.5% of today's families. And so if you're one of those families, you think right off the bat, especially in the church, oh, he's talking about that family. The truth is that's the minority. And uh, family is very, very different today. In fact, families are messy. Can you say amen to that? It's okay. In fact, I know a lot of us go to church, and if you've gone to church a long time, you, you, you were taught never show anyone your mess. You were taught when you're driving and yelling and screaming at the kids or your wife or your spouse, as soon as the car door opens in the church parking lot, that's when you turn it off. We're at church. This is God. Something happens. God's spirit is on the cement right outside the church. And so if you dare act inappropriately, God will smite you. I mean, in the car, it's okay. We're wearing rubber. It's somehow lightning. It won't strike. But when you open the door of the parking lot of the church, that's when you turn it on and you pretend to be the perfect family. And that's what a lot of individuals have thought over the years of what a church is. Let me tell you a a story as we kind of get in. I I remember... um, uh, being engaged, and, and my wife and I, we went over to a place in Florida. It was called Burdines. Uh, it's like a Belk here, and so I'll just say Belk. So we were at a Belk, and uh, and I, I remember she was like, "Oh, we've got to go register for all of our stuff, you know, for the wedding and stuff like that." And you know, it's like, "Oh, great!" I was like, I was like, how, I'm like "How long do you think it'll take?" "Oh, it'll probably take about two or three hours." Hours, I don't, you know. But you know, the the department stores they do a wonderful thing. If you've if you've been there, they they figured out that a lot of the guys, not all guys, but a lot of guys will just be miserable. And so th- what they did is. They, you know, it's kind of like when you're going fishing, you put a lure, a shiny lure in front of a fish and it gets them excited and they go after it. In, in the department stores, they give you a gun, you know, the little laser guns things. It's like you walk in and all of a sudden they're like, oh, here and here you go. Oh, a toy. All right. What, what, let's go. I want to go shoot things. Let's go. And so Jennifer and I, we start walking through the department store and she's like, okay, this and, zip, and you know, and I'm, I'm half listening. I'll be honest with you. She's like, oh, don't you think this, but yes, whatever it is. Cause I learned a long time ago, just, you know, the, the magic word, to a great relationship is okay. That's the magic word. If you didn't know, if you're single, you need to know that it's two letters. Okay. And if you do that, everything will be great. So I said that a lot. Okay. 
you know, and I was, I was scanning, 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 scanning. Well, after about two hours, I was done with the gun. I mean, the shiny thing wore off. It was just like, oh my gosh. It's like, I don't care. Let's just get on with it. Let's get over it. And, uh, and so finally we're, we're in a place and we go toward picture frames and we're looking at these picture frames and she says, oh, we gotta, we gotta get a picture from it. Like a picture frame would come out. I mean, I'm having a meltdown in the middle of Belk. I've got serious issues. And so finally I remember walking over to the section and I'm looking at this as I'm having a meltdown. I, I grab a picture of a family. It's this picture right here. And actually, if you, Max, if you could show that picture. I grab this picture and, and probably you've seen this picture because in a lot of the department stores, it's a stock family. This is, you know, you know the, to show the, the great family. And I remember looking at this family and I remember wanting to punch it. Because, I mean, the truth is right there, I'm having a meltdown. I'm having a, I, I'm exhausted. We're frustrated with one another. We're about to be married and I'm miserable. And I'm looking at uh, Mike and Susie stock. And Mike and Susie, you know, they got the pearly white teeth. You know, notice the kids are hanging on their neck. I mean, they have it all together. I mean, this is the family. And, you know, we go and we go into department stores. We look at commercials. We look at TV. And when family is represented, we see pictures of this. And we go, oh, we stink. We're awful. This is terrible. I mean, how many of you at your worst moments right away, you think of the stock family and you say, if other people saw us right now, oh, my gosh. Because we think right off the bat that this is what family is. Well, let me introduce you to Mike and Susie Stock. Mike and Susie Stock, and they have two kids, Zach and Emily Stock. Now, here's the thing. You look at them and you think this is the perfect family. Look, they're wearing designer clothes. That means they have resources. I mean, they're happy. They're smiling. They're really close to indicate intimacy and, you know, just really happiness. The kids are squeezing the neck. I have the best daddy in the world. And, you know, and and just some of us are like, oh, gosh, I'm so far from that. But let me tell you, the truth is, is there... Every family is messy. And we're going to talk about that in just a second, but every family is messy. This is a stock family, which means it does not exist. There are no perfect pictures. So if you really knew Mike and Susie Stock, let me tell you truly about them. Mike, right now, he is driving a car he cannot afford, heading to a home that they're about to foreclose upon. He can't sleep because of the stress. And he hasn't told his wife, Susie, because she's afraid, he's afraid that she will leave him. Susie, oh my gosh, Susie is addicted to pain medication. And her husband doesn't even realize it. And so she sneaks to the, the cabinet and she's popping pills and Michael doesn't know anything about it. Meanwhile, Emily, the, the daughter, she has anger issues. Mom and dad walked into a room and they found the heads of the Barbie dolls torn off. And Zach has ADHD and ADD. And he's a prime candidate for following his soon-to-be bride in a belt with a toy gun having a meltdown. That's him. There are no perfect families. And so what I'd like to do today, if you're a type A personnel, let me tell you where we're going today. Um, Truth is, is that God's not surprised by our mess. And the church is one of the messiest places there is. Because we always say the church is not for perfect people. And so take a look around. We're not perfect. And we got a lot of mess. And so two things are going to happen. Number one, I want to redefine what family truly is today for you. It's not Mike and Susie Stock. And so you never have to compare to those perfect pictures anymore because they're not real. But the second thing I want you to do is many times we end up in messes because we make mistakes. Sometimes we, make, we end up in messes that are not our fault but for whatever reason, we end up in mess. So we're going to talk about when we end up in mess, some of the things that we do, which makes us hang out in our mess really long. But then the, if you're hanging on type A's, 
At the end of the message, I want to show you what God does in the midst of our mess. And it's an amazing story out of the book of Genesis that some of you have read many times, but you might not have read it quite the same way. So before we begin, I want to introduce you to today's family with some statistics. So take a look at the screen. This is true in today's family. 40% of married couples with children are step couples. So if you sit in here today and if you've been divorced and you've been remarried and you're sitting there and you're in church and you grew up in a church where it's like, okay, no, we just don't want to tell anybody that, you know, we, we got a divorce in our family. Guess what? 40% of today married couples with children are step couples. Almost 40% of marriages today are remarriages. Now get this, and I want you to, to camp on this. If you're a single mom in this room, I thank God you're here. I always say a modern day miracle is a single mom that makes it. No one, no one, no one knows the struggles a single parent faces every single day. I want you to know that you have a pastor that loves you and prays for you because I understand how difficult that is. But take a look at the statistic. 13.7 million single parents today are raising 22 million children. 26% of those children are under the age of 21. If you think that this is, well, this is not our community, Terry. I want to show you a statistic from the state of South Carolina that will blow your minds. Take a look at this. In South Carolina, 42% of all children live in single-parent homes. 42%. That's almost half of our kids in the state of South Carolina are growing up either without a mom or without a dad or without both parents, maybe a garden, maybe a grandparent. So if you thought Mike and Susie Stock were the traditional and true family, the majority today you're looking at the wrong family because everyone is messy. Every one of us, every one of us. Now I want to set the stage for the story that we're going to talk about today in the Bible. If you're not familiar with the Bible, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis and we're going to introduce you to the father of our faith. In fact, um, in Jewish culture, he is the father of their faith. And we always say that as well. It's a guy by the name of Abraham. Now I want to set the stage because it could get confusing. Um, So let me introduce the characters. You have Abraham, and you have Sarah. Now, here's the thing. When we tell this story, they haven't become Abraham and Sarah yet. I know it's confusing the Bible. I know I get it. So you're going to see Abram. It's really Abraham, but that's what they called him, Abram. And you're going to look Sarai. Sarai is really Sarah. So when I start reading, so that way I don't have to say Abram, Abraham, Sarah, Sarah, I'm going to say Abraham and Sarah, but it's the same person, just different time frames. Okay, everybody got it? Now, with that being said, let me set the stage. Abraham and Sarah, they're a lot wiser in years, longer in the tooth. They've wanted kids. In fact, in this culture, biblical culture, it was really, really important to be able to have an heir. It was really, really important to pass the legacy. This was huge in this culture. And so if you were a man of any kind of stature, you needed to have a son to be able to pass down all of the wealth, all of the inheritance, everything you pass down through the first son, and the first son carries your legacy forward. So Abraham doesn't have an heir yet. And Sarah's getting older and she's been barren and she has not had a child. And so all of a sudden they're trying to wrestle this out and God intervenes and Abraham's going to have a conversation with God because Abraham is going to pause and he's going to say, well, maybe we're just not going to have an heir. So then Abraham thinks culturally, if my wife can't have the child, then there are things called maidservants. And I'm going to take one of our maidservants... And I'm going to have relations with the maidservant and the maidservant is going to have my son and we're going to fix it, God, because if if you can't bless us with a child, then we're going to go outside and we're going to take care of it ourselves. And Abraham's having this thought and God all of a sudden connects and God has a conversation with him and I want you to see this. Take a look at this. The Lord said to Abraham, no, Abraham, you know that plan, that idea you're concocting, 
no, your servant, your maidservant will not be your heir. You're not going to have your heir through the maidservant. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky, Abraham, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Now, a lot of us have messes. It might not look just like this one, but we're all end up in messes. And so we get impatient. It's like, you know, God, I, I want a child. God, I want resources. God, I want the job. And all of a sudden we start thinking and we start saying, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do this, which is outside what maybe God wants. And God has a conversation back and says, no, 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 I got a plan. And I love it because every time I see where he points to Abraham, count the stars, I think of God, every time I have a dream or every time I have a desire and every time I think you're in it, um, it's your promise to me. And so whenever I see count the stars, I think God's saying to me, hey, I have a plan. I've got a plan. Stick to it. Stick to it. So all of a sudden, I want to set that stage. So Abraham, father of the faith, biblical, because we're all biblical families. They have it together, right? No, they're messy, just like us. And so Abraham is talked to by God, tells Sarah, we can't do this. We need to trust God. You're going to have a son. Okay. Shortly after that, all of a sudden, Sarah decides to have a conversation with Abraham. And this conversation goes to, speaks to my mess. When we get impatient with God and we decide we're just going to take care of it ourselves, then all of a sudden we take his plan and we replace it with our plan. So let's jump into the mold. This is Sarah now talking to Abraham. They're tired and they're going to about to jettison what God says. Take a look at this. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps maybe I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. Now what's interesting about this, as you kind of take a look at this story, is if you really pay really close attention, you're going to see Sarah and Abraham jump into the mess. Now, if you're in a mess right now, if you feel like you're a mess, if, you, if you're putting a smile on your face walking into church and you're hoping no one can figure out that you're in a mess, we're all in a mess at some point. But I want you to pay really close attention to what gets us into messes and how we know we're in messes. So if you're taking notes, I really want you to pay really close attention. We're going to learn a lot from Sarah in the statement she just made. So if you're taking notes, follow along in this. Within messes, there is always, number one, blame. Within messes, there is always blame. You don't believe me? Take a look at this. Let me take you back. So Sarah said to Abraham, who? God prevented us from having kids. First thing out of her mouth. You know what? I'm tired. I'm in a mess. I'm stressed. We got to fix this. I got to do it myself. Hey, you know whose fault this is? It's God's. He prevented me. It's all his fault. He doesn't want me to have kids. Now, how many of us know of someone, or maybe we've even stepped in that ourselves, where when things don't go our way and we don't get what we want, what do we do? God, why did you do this? God, how could this happen? I'm okay. I'm okay. It's really... God, why did you do this? The first thing we do is we introduce blame into messes. If you're taking notes, blame moves around mess and looks for an address. Blame wants to come into our messes. The first thing you got to learn in life is you're always going to have messes. And as soon as you start to automatically take your thoughts and begin to blame someone else, you've got to remember, whoa, 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 pause, 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 pause. And you need to take a look at yourself because it's really easy to start blaming. We're in the midst of a mess. When blame 
has an address, mess is always there to visit. So today, if you're in a mess, or maybe you don't even realize you're in a mess, if you are blaming a lot of people, if you're sitting and you're not happy, if you're in a job that you're not happy with, if you're in a family you're not happy with, if you're a parent and you're not happy, if you're single and you're not happy, the first thing I want to ask you is who are you blaming? And if you could identify where that blame is located, you'll be on your way to moving through your mess. There's a second thing that happens in mess though. When the mess is there, there's always also an excuse. You don't believe me? Take a look at what Sarah said. God prevented me from having kids and go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps, perhaps maybe I can have children through her. Now, wait a minute. What did God say to both Abraham and Sarah? Do not, the heir will not come from your maidservant. She knew this. And so what did she say? Go sleep with my maidservant. In other words, take it out of there. Whatever God tells us to do, here's what she did. Well, since God's not giving me any kids, I'm going to go ahead and sin and do exactly what God told me not to do. We make excuses. And Sarah made one of the biggest whoppers of excuses you could imagine. Now, if you're, you know, don't read the dictionary all the time. It's a great read. I prom- I'm just teasing. But anyway, if you jump into the dictionary, if you're from Encyclopedia Britannica, I apologize. But anyway, if you, I know it's Encyclopedia. De- defin- I know it's not a dictionary. I get it. So anyway, the definition of excuse, take a look at this. It's an attempt to lessen fault. It's an attempt to release blame. So when you're in the midst of the mess, one of the first things we do is what? We blame and then we start realizing, oh, I'm blaming someone. But wait, it's okay to blame the person because I'm going to figure out how to make an excuse and get me out of it. If you're taking notes, write this down. When blame has an address, excuse is always its roommate. If you're in a mess, you can probably always identify blame and you can always identify an excuse. Let me kind of illustrate this another way. I remember um, going ahead and we were driving a car and we were heading out to go to an event and all of a sudden um, I was kind of dragging my feet because there was a ball game on and I wanted to see the finish and I I kept looking and usually I'm the punctual one but in this instance I wanted to watch the end of the game and honestly the event we were going to I didn't mind if we were fashionably late to and so I I was sitting there and my wife was you know come on we got to go I was like oh just one second just a few more pitches and so we got out and we got into the car and she's like we we can't be late we're not supposed I I know we're gonna be fine there's no traffic it'll be great gridlock so I'm sitting there and I'm driving the car. Now all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm having to eat crow, so to speak, but all of a sudden I'm in a mess. And so what do I do in a mess? So I'm driving and, and we get past the gridlock and we're running late and there's a guy in front of me and then there's a guy to the passing lane next to him. And the, it's like the two of them are driving a race, race. they're like tag teaming together on a racetrack and they won't let anybody by. And so I'm, I'm, I speed up behind the guy in the slow lane because the guy in the passing lane is not going fast and I, I get just close enough where I may be able to sneak out in front of him and pass. And all of a sudden this guy starts slowing down and this guy starts moving up. It's the most annoying and frustrating thing ever. So you ever heard of this thing called road rage, I start to rage and I'm just like, oh, and I'm, I'm slowing and stopping. Meanwhile, my poor family, my wife and my son in the back seat, they're like this sitting in the car. They're doing this the whole time. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, and so finally I fling the car around and I'm being so reckless and so careless. I was within the speed limit. And I, if you're a police officer, I, I followed the laws. I promise I did. But anyway, so I was walking around, driving around, driving around. And so all of a sudden, I get there. And Jennifer is next to me. She goes, slow down. I'm like, no, we're going to be late. Slow down. And I was like, you know, the truth is, I'd make it there on time if it wasn't for those guys right there in the car. It's like, you know, don't blame me. It's not my fault. I, I, I had it all planned out. We should have been there and it would have been okay. It's not my fault. It's the guy in the Toyota. If I had a piece of my mind, I would go after him. I'm just teasing. But here's the thing. 
There's always blame. And there's always an excuse whenever you find yourself in a mess. There's marriages that are messy because of blame and excuse. There's parent relationships that are always messy because of blame and excuse. If you're a parent in this room, you have to remember you are the parent. They are the child. And so if you ever start blaming and excusing with your child, you've got to really take a look at where you're at because you're the parent. So if you're taking notes, all right, Terry, I'm in a mess. I do this all the time. What do I do to get out? Here are two questions you need to ask yourself. Who do I blame? And how can I make things, how can I, I make things right? Who am I blaming? And how can I make things right? If you just write that down, and if you follow that today in the midst of your mess, I promise you, you will have a better future. I promise you. If you would just say, pause, who am I blaming? Who am I upset at? I'm not happy at work. Who am I blaming? Okay, I've got to stop blaming that person because it's not helping. So how do I then take ownership and how can I help make things right? With the things I can control, how can I be a part of it? Now, fast forward, let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to Abraham and Sarah's mess. So all of a sudden, let me catch you up. Abraham and Sarah, they go ahead and they go outside of what God wanted. They went ahead and took it under their control. And so Abraham goes ahead and and he has a sleepover with Hagar. And all of a sudden, Hagar finds herself pregnant. Sarah then becomes angry, bitter towards Hagar, mistreats her. Hagar then is sent away. Now, pause. In this culture, biblically, if you are a single parent, if you are pregnant, if you are on your own as a single woman, you're done. It's not just, oh, they're going to have a tough life. No, 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 no. You will die. Because you are discarded, you are disgraced, you are on your own, you will not be able to provide for yourself and you will not be able to provide for your child. So when Abraham and Sarah dismissed Hagar, it was a death sentence to Hagar. And Hagar finds herself in a spring, in a mess, and not knowing what to do. She is all alone and she can't imagine anybody caring for her because she is going to die. And I want you to see what God does. By the way, if you're a single parent in this room, this is the first instance in the Bible of a single parent. And I want you to pay really close attention. Even though Abraham and Sarah sinned and did exactly what God didn't want them to do, I want you to see how God will go right into the middle of the mess because that's how much he cares for his kids. So take a look at this, Genesis chapter 16. The angel of the Lord, which, by the way, if you're a Bible scholar, you know, the angel of the Lord, this is the manifestation of Jesus Christ. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. It's as if Jesus is there himself. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, we're going to come back to this. Where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar responded, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit to her authority. Then he added, I promise I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. And she also said, have I truly seen the one who's seen me? Here's Hagar destined to die and God shows up in the middle of her mess. If you're taking notes, God runs into your mess when others run out. 
If you're feeling all alone, you know the one, the one amazing individual that you can always count on is our Heavenly Father. He is not afraid to run into your deepest messes. In fact, isn't it ironic that in churches throughout the last maybe two, three decades, we've had individuals, single parents, divorced individuals who refuse to walk in the doors of the church. Why? Because they feel as if maybe they've either found themselves in a mess, not of their fault, but they're in a mess. Maybe they've created the mess. And all of a sudden, the last place they feel like they can go to is where? Church. Why? Because at church, we're all Mike and Susie Stock. And we all have perfect families. And so God would not ever want us to be in his house of worship because God is as far away from me as possible. God doesn't care about me anymore. I sinned or my husband sinned or my wife sinned and I'm in a mess and I'm not where God wanted. I'm not this perfect picture. And so therefore I cannot go to church. I cannot talk to God because God is far away from me. That is a lie debunked by God himself thousands of years ago because he decided to go to the first single parent against what he wanted. He didn't want this, but it happened. And what did he do? He said, okay, I'm God and I love my kids and I'm going to come into the life of this single parent to show every single parent how much I love them. In fact, the first thing that Hagar, that God says to Hagar is this, where have you come from? Here's what this means from theologian standpoint. If you're sitting in a mess and you feel that, like you can't talk to God, the first thing God wants to speak to you in your mess is, where have you come from? And here's what that means. Hey, Hagar, I was there when the mistake happened. I heard God, I heard Abraham and Sarah, and I heard exactly what they were planning. I knew exactly what was happening. And so I'm asking you, Where have you come from? Because I already know where you come from because I was there. And so the first thing you need to remember is this, you're never alone. Even in your worst mess, God is there. He's not surprised by your mess. And so when Hagar looks and God says, where have you come from? It's as if God's saying, hey, Hagar, you think you were by yourself when you ended up in this mess? You weren't. I was there. So for many of us, we have to remember that while we can't change our past, We can change our future. Some of you are running from your past and you want to hide it and you want to pretend as if you're Mike and Susie Stock and you don't want to look at the past and you don't want to be a part of the past because it's just too painful. You have to remember God was there. He's the God who heard you. You were not alone in the the past because God hears you. The second thing that God says, and this is really cool, so wake up if you fell asleep, this is really cool. The second thing that Hagar says is this, you are the God who what? Sees me. And God asked the question, what, where are you going? Hagar didn't know that this was Jesus Christ or the Lord or God until after she began to move forward, after the situation resolved, after she had listened and said, I will submit and I will move forward. And then all of a sudden she saw the Lord depart from her. And when she saw the Lord depart, she knew he's God and he saw me. He sees me. What an incredible God I have. Here's the thing for all of us. is when we decide that we can have a better future, we know that God's future is better than our own. And so we have the God who sees us. We have a God who sees us step and move in the right direction. Look what, look what God said to Hagar. What did he say? I will give you, Hagar, more descendants than you can count. 
Where are you going, Hagar? You thought your, your future ended? It didn't, because I will walk through with you in your future. Take a look at this next slide. Questions that I have for you. How will you move forward? And will God have a place at your side? If you're in the middle of the mess, it's time to, yes, embrace your past. It's the past. You're not Mike and Susie Stock. You have a mess. It's okay. We're all messy. Now that I've got that, God is always there in the mess. Now God wants a better future for me. He wants to use me. Here's the thing that you need to hear. Many of us are paralyzed because we think God only uses tape. God only uses perfect pictures. God only uses Mike and Susie's stock. Guess what? That's a lie. If you're taking notes, write this down. God doesn't use perfect pictures. He uses messy people. He uses messy people. And God uses messy people to write a better and bigger story. If you're a single parent today, He is the God who hears you. He is the God who sees you. If you're divorced today and you felt embarrassed to tell others that you have another husband or you have stepkids and you've always felt a little awkward in church, you need to stop because he was the God who was there with you in your mess and he is the God who is writing a better story for you and the church is a place for messy people and the church should never judge anyone for their messes because before we can judge anyone else for their messes, we have to look at our own messes. And so we need a church that embraces an outside neighborhood in their mess. And we need to embrace one another in the midst of our own messes. And we need to remind all of us, he is the God who hears us, who is always there with us, and he sees us, and he has a better story for us. Let's pray. God, right now, Lord, I know that you are speaking intently to the heart of many who are hurting. And God, to to look at the past as painful But God, you don't want us to run from our past. You want us to learn to grow and embrace our past so we can remember that you were there in our past. That no matter what happened, God, you were present. But God, you no longer want us to stay in our mess, Father. You want us to move through our mess to a brighter and better story. And that God, that's why you use messy people to write a better story. God, I pray for a single mom today who's ready to give up. God, I ask that today would just be a moment where you speak, where they will have the courage to know that you are there. God, for the single adult who covets a relationship where they feel alone as an adult in this world because too often churches talk all about families and married people and kids. God, may they know that you are here. Father, right now for marriages that are hurting, I pray that you would remind them that they can have a better story. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.